a very familiar passage of scripture. Probably read as often as any other scripture in an apostolic church. Probably ranks up there with Acts 2.38. Amen. We'll get to Acts 2.38 today. Amen. Acts 2.38 is a cornerstone of our belief. And so I, I do my best to implement it when I preach. Amen. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some, some people say that you're Elias. You're, you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you think that I am? Who, what Jesus said, who do you think that I am? Verse 16 says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. And I won't go any further. Amen. Yet. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. And ask the Lord to touch our hearts one more time today. In Jesus' name. God, we need your touch in this place today. I need your help. I need your strength and your anointing in my life this morning, Jesus. God, I pray that I can help somebody, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill somebody with the Holy Ghost in this house today. Lord, you know the needs of every soul. God, you know the hunger in every heart, Lord. God, I pray that you would fulfill that desire and that longing in every soul today. Show us who you are, God. Fill us with your spirit, I pray, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. Amen. I just want to preach from the thought. It's a question. Uh, but I want to preach from the thought, who is Jesus to you? We've all had expectations of something in life before. We've all, you know, as a kid, you expect you get a big box for your birthday, and you have great expectations for it. It's big. It's heavy. And you say, man, I, there's got to be a whole Lego set in there or whatever it may be. You, you, you have expectations. You believe it's going to be something big. And it is big, but it's big to your parents. You open it up, and it's full of clothes. You're like, ah, oh, Thanks. I appreciate it. But as an adult, you know, your expect expectations change. You get another set of clothes, you're like, hey, that's one less set that I have to buy. And so, you know, we all, we all have expectations, whether it's, you know, if you buy a tool at the store, I, I'm, I'm a man, so if I buy a tool, I expect it to be a quality tool, and especially if I pay good money for it. And so... If that tool breaks the first time that I use it, I'm a little bit irritated because my expectations were not met. And the Jews, back in the Bible days, they kind of were the same way with Jesus. They had some expectations of their Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one, the chosen one. And so they, were, they had an expectation that when their Messiah came, 
that he was going to come riding in on a white horse and chariot, and he was going to destroy the Romans and all the Gentiles, get purged their land of all of the all of the outside rule that ruled them at the time, and give them their nation back and restore everything to perfectly the way that it was. They kind of got the, the cart ahead of the horse. They skipped all the prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that said that he was going to come meekly and as a lamb that didn't lift up his voice against the shearers. They skipped over those prophecies that said Jesus was going to come meek and mild at first. And they went straight to the prophecies that said that he was going to come as a vindicator that destroyed everybody that opposed Israel. So who was Jesus? What was people's perception of Jesus when he was on this earth? Who was he to the Jews? Who was he to, the to, to his family? Jesus was just the carpenter's son. He was just a brother to his family. He was just a friend to his friends. Mark chapter 2, chapter 6, verse 2, I'm sorry, says, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They were saying, who do you think you are, Jesus? Who, what gives you the authority to read the scriptures as you do? Jesus was a sinner to the Jews. John chapter 9, verse 24 says, Then again they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. He answered and said, the, the man that was blind answered and said to the Jews, he said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amen. But to the Jews as a whole, to the Jewish nation as a whole, Jesus was just a sinner. It says it here in Scripture. Jesus was Beelzebub, the prince of de devils, to still Yet other Jews, Luke chapter 11, verse 14, and, and he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. To other Jews, Jesus was a blasphemer in the temple. John chapter 10 and verse 33 the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stoned thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Who is Jesus to the world today? To some people, Jesus is just a myth. Some people say that there is no God, that it's all just a farce and a fairy tale, that it was dreamed up and some monk's mind back in the mountains of Tibet or something like that. But Tibet isn't even where Christianity was born. That's like Buddhism or something like that. <laughs> to other people, Jesus is a method 
that's used to control populations. Before the Civil War happened, there were slaves in the United States, and they were given Bibles by their masters that had all mentions of freedom removed from them and everything supporting slavery left in. The story of the Israelites leaving Egypt, the exodus of Egypt, was taken out. They, they took that part out of the Bible because they wanted to keep those people in captivity. But they left passages in that said things like, obey them that have the rule over you because they wanted to control those people. That's what Jesus what is and was to some people is a method to control populations. Jesus was a reason to start wars back in the medieval days. The Crusades, they were fought to liberate, quote-unquote, liberate the Holy Land from heathen control, but really they were just after more money, more fame, and more power. Jesus is a byword and a name used to condemn rather than save to some. In other words, Jesus is a curse word. But it's interesting to me that you almost, at least I, I work around a lot of men that are rather rough. And it's interesting to me that I, at least, have almost never heard anything pertaining to Satan and his name used in vain. To some people in sanctuaries across America, Jesus is just a cold church sanctuary. To some people, Jesus is just a tradition. He's just rules. He's just regulations and responsibilities. Many people go to church today just because mom and dad and grandma and grandpa went to church. There's no relation between that person and, and our God. And so thus be, they begin to skip church for something that they do relate to, such as sports. And it's funny to me, this person, you know, I, I'll use me for an example. I, I don't like it when people say this, but I'm going to use me as an example. I'll make myself the scapegoat. When people say, we're going to the Super Bowl. You? You're going to the Super Bowl? You ain't got two muscles to put together on your body. Who are you going to bowl over? The hot dogs? Like, yeah, you're not going to the Super Bowl. Do you think you're a part of a team? We're signing LeBron James. <laughs> I ain't got enough money in my pocket for a McDonald's hamburger, let alone signing LeBron James. And you're signing LeBron James? Okay. It's because they feel a relation. There is a, an energy at those ball games that does not exist in churches today. Christianity is on decline in many sectors of the world today because people are being satisfied by learning. They're being satisfied, satisfied by sports, as I mentioned. They're being satisfied by drugs, things that give them a sense of exhilaration, a sense that, oh, that, that void inside has been filled. And Jesus, he's just become a statue of a man hanging on a tree that no longer hears their prayers, that no longer sees their struggles, that no longer feels the pain that they feel. Jesus is just an hour of duty on Sunday morning where you just have to come and put your time in and drop some money in the offering plate to some folks. 
Many people just use church and Jesus as another social club to make some more new business connections. Jesus to others is, he's just a prophet. If you ask the Muslims and other religions in America today, they'll say, well, Jesus, he was a good man, but he wasn't God. He was just a prophet. To other people, they'll say, well, Jesus is a mystery. He says he's one thing, then he says he's the other. I can't figure him out. To some people, Jesus is just a son, but he's not the father or the spirit to many more in the world today. These are some of the who's and what's Jesus is to many people in the world today. Many people have only seen one small portion of Jesus through someone claiming to be his representative. The Jews in the Bible were expecting their Messiah to deliver them from the Roman Empire. But he instead came to this earth in a lowly manger. He never lived a life of comfort, often never knowing where his next meal was coming from. And we all know that he died a death of shame. Many people today have preconceived ideas about who and what Jesus should be. They have been told everything negative about Jesus, why religion is false, why it's a waste of time. The Jews expected a grand king coming in with an army to save them. And vice versa, many in this world expect a Jesus that has no power, lots of contradictions in the Bible, and is nothing more than old traditions of bygone times because of the false representation that he has had. But none of these expectations are realities when you meet the true Jesus of the Bible. So who does the Bible say that Jesus is? The Old Testament says this, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. In the New Testament, John 8, 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Jesus was ever the carpenter's son, Jesus was God. First Peter 1 and 19, For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, my Jesus was not a sinner. He was a lamb without blemish, without spot. Jesus was not a blasphemer. The Jews almost got it right in John 10, 33, when they said, Thou being a man, makest thyself God. They just needed to turn it around. Matthew 1 and 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus was not 
a man making himself God. He was rather God that took on the form of a man to become just like you and I. Jesus is not a population control method to keep the masses huddling in fear. He himself read his purpose in Luke chapter 4 and 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to, pre to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set up liberty them that are bruised. Jesus is a liberator from the chains of oppression and the bondage of tradition. Jesus did not bring strife and war to this world, but rather peace. Luke chapter 2, verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus did prophesy, but he was not just a prophet. Matthew chapter 16, verse 14 through 16. Some say thou art John the Baptist. Some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was God Almighty. Je Jesus said in John 10 and 30, I and my Father are one. Je Matthew 1 and 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. John 14, 26 tells us, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. In these scriptures, we see that Jesus isn't just the Son, but Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. Praise God. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 26. Amen. You can go there in your Bible. I'll be there for a little bit. Amen. This is the setting of the story of Paul before Agrippa. Paul had gone to Jerusalem. He'd gone back to Jerusalem. He was told, don't go back to Jerusalem. You'll be arrested. They're going to put you in bondage. And they're going to try to kill you, Paul. Don't go back to Jerusalem. But he said, no, I have a purpose. I need to go to Jerusalem. I'm going. So he went. And if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you'll read where Paul was talking in the temple, outside the temple. And they were getting ready to kill him. And the, the uh, Roman centurion and his men came in and they noticed a ruckus going on. And so they said, what's going on? Hold on a second. Don't kill this man because Paul was a Roman citizen. So because Paul was a Roman citizen, he went through the, the hoops of the justice system. And he eventually said, I appeal to Caesar. And so he was on his way to Caesar, and in Acts 26, he was, it's almost kind of like the Supreme Court of the United States. You go through all the lower court systems, and then at the end of the day, if you don't get the answer that you like, you go to the Supreme Court and hope that they give you the answer you want. 
Amen. So Acts 26, Paul was before Agrippa. And Agrippa gave Paul a chance to give his side of the story of why he'd been arrested by the Jews. Everybody, all the Jews were, oh, he's a blasphemer. He's, he's causing trouble for the Roman Empire. He needs to be put to death, blah, 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 blah. And so Agrippa said, okay, that's your side of the story. Now we're going to give Paul, the accused, a chance to speak. So in this passage of Scripture, Paul began by describing his first perception of Jesus. Paul himself, although he, was, he had a Roman citizenship, he was a Jew by birth. He had his Roman citizenship and he was a Jew. And both of those were by birth. And so as a Jew, Paul had that negative perception of Jesus like I talked about in the beginning of this message. He, he, Paul thought that Jesus was blasphemous, that he was a liar, that he was Beelzebub, whatever, whatever adjective, negative adjective that you could put to Jesus, that's what Paul thought Jesus was. And so thus, Paul tells Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 that I began to persecute the church and I began to, I, I, these people that followed Jesus, these Christians, I began to kill them because they were spreading heresy and I didn't want that heresy to spread any further. And Paul was in the middle of doing that. He was on the road to Damascus to destroy more Christians and take more people captive when he was struck down by God on the road to Damascus. And in verse 14, God told him, for lack of better words, your perception is wrong, buddy. Verse 15, Paul was like, well, if my perception is wrong, verse 15, he says, who art thou, Lord? Who are you? The answer came, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And in that moment, Paul realized the very one that I have hated, he's the one that I need to love. He began to tell King Agrippa of his new perception of Jesus in verses 19 and 20, how that he went to uh, see Ananias, and Ananias helped him, and God gave him back his sight after three days. And in verse 19 and 20, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So he took his new perspective of God, of Jesus. Jesus became real to him and he began to tell people about that Jesus. And then in the middle of his testimony, in the middle of Paul's testimony, Festus, King Agrippa's friend, uh, says, Paul, you're crazy, you're mad. And Paul says in verse 25, he says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king, referring to King Agrippa, King Agrippa was very familiar with Jewish law. He understood it, the Bible says. He said, for the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. He's saying Jesus wasn't crucified in the corner. Uh, the things that have been happening have not been happening in a corner. 
the prophecies given about Jesus didn't just weren't just written down on a piece of scrapbook paper. They were published abroad in Judea. He asked King Agrippa in verse 27. He said, "Do you believe the prophets? Believest thou the prophets?" And Agrippa never responded to Paul. The Bible doesn't record Agrippa responding to Paul that whether he did or not. But I believe, given his, the response that he did, did give to Paul, he never answered Paul's question about believing the prophets. But I believe that he did believe the prophets. I think Agrippa did believe that what they had to say. And Agrippa replied to Paul in verse 28. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was saying to Paul, you almost, you came this close, Paul, to changing my perspective of who Jesus is. You almost changed my perspective from Jesus being a blasphemer to being God Almighty. You almost changed my perspective of God to just being a tradition on Sunday morning to being God that works and moves and fills people with the Holy Ghost today. Now let me tell you who Jesus is to me. My life began November 10th, 2000. I was born, I think, around 6.30 in the evening. And, of course, my parents were happy, overjoyed, thankful that they had a son. And the doctor came in and was doing all of his checks on me. Some of you probably remember this story, know where I'm going with it. When I was born, and the, the doctor at some point, he was doing checks, and he began to check my heart, and he, li- he listened, and he said, there's something that does not sound right in his heart. Something sounds, it almost sounds like he has a third heartbeat, because your heart's supposed to go pa-poom, 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 and mine was going pa-poom, 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 and the doctor was concerned, and so he said, well, I'm going to send you to a specialist in Wichita you know, whatever, and they found a hole in my heart, and between the chambers of my heart, when one side of my heart would pump, rather than pumping blood out to my body, it would just pump it into the other chamber, and so that's where the third third heartbeat came from, and they took me to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, it may go away on its own. We may have to do surgery. We don't really know for sure, but my parents brought me to this altar, and they had Pastor Carl Elder pray for me. And who Jesus is to me is a healer. I don't have a hole in my heart today. Forgive me, I'll tell another story about me. Because I know me best. I was only probably three or four, if that. And I remember my mom, she had me on, a, on the couch or in a, in a recliner. I don't remember which. But she was reading me my picture Bible. And we were reading about Noah and the ark. And we got to the part where God gave Noah a rainbow. And God said that I will never destroy the earth by water again, Noah. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, I've never seen a rainbow before. I don't know what a rainbow looks like in real life. And my mom had the faith to say, Joel, let's pray right now. And I believe God's going to give us a rainbow. And so... I I don't remember the prayer. It probably wasn't anything long or particularly special or or anything like that. 
but we prayed a prayer. And my mom said something to the effect of Jesus. Joel's never seen a rainbow before. Show him the promise that you gave Noah. Show it to Joel. And so my mom, when we got done praying that prayer, we didn't wait until we were going to Walmart, the grocery store, and just hope that we would see one just by chance. But my mom picked me up and she said, all right, Joel, let's go outside. God's going to show you a rainbow. And I still remember looking out in the sky and there was a big, beautiful rainbow from the, as far as you could see both directions. I'll never forget it as long as I live. That's who Jesus is to me. Jesus is real. Jesus isn't just a storybook. Jesus is real. I want to tell you one more story about me. I don't remember the first time I got the Holy Ghost. My parents told me I got it in youth service on a Tuesday night when we used to have youth service on Tuesdays. The first time I remember it, I was sitting back about where Graceland was sitting. And Brother Disatel was here preaching revival. And he was preaching on hell the morning that I got the Holy Ghost, the first time that I remember. And my parents noticed that I was squirming around. I was only five years old. I had I, started the message listening to the preaching, and then I began to start playing with my toys and try to ignore what was being said. But my parents finally noticed, no, God is dealing with him. He's not just trying to be a little kid. So they told me, no, you, why don't you sit down, buddy? And at the end of that message... There was a fear of God that was placed in my heart and a fear that I don't want to go to hell in my heart. And I came up to this altar and I remember people being around me. I remember Sister Sharon being there, my grandma, my grandpa, my parents. And I got the Holy Ghost. Jesus filled me with the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus is to me. He's the Holy Ghost. He's my salvation from hell. So you see, Jesus is more than just a statue of a man hanging on a cross to me. There's many misconceptions out there about Jesus and who he is. Just because somebody's perception of Jesus is not glowing and bright and perfect, that doesn't mean that it's the truth or factual. You can take this Bible. You could stomp on it. You could shred it. You could burn it. You could say it says this. It says that, whatever you want to say about the Bible, you can say it. But it does not change what the Bible says. I understand that maybe some people grow weary with going to their house of worship every Sunday, just enduring another sermon from their pastor because of the traditions of mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. I understand some people think that Jesus is just a myth, that really there is no God. I know that people take his name in vain constantly. I understand the reason why they have these negative feelings towards, quote, Jesus. The reason is because the Jesus that they know has never come off the cross and out of the grave. Their Jesus has never healed their body. He's never shown them a miracle or fulfilled a promise given to them. Their Jesus is nothing more than a tradition. But if you're not satisfied with the Jesus that you know, let me introduce you to my Jesus. 
My Jesus is my dearest friend who I would spend my last dime for and share my deepest fears with. My Jesus forgave my failures when I couldn't even look myself in the mirror. My Jesus is peace in life's most fierce storm. My Jesus is my help when I'm too worn out to handle life any longer. My Jesus is my Father, shielding me from the ridicule and the hurt that this world hurls at me like a schoolyard bully. My Jesus is where I find my joy in living life every day. My Jesus is my healer when I'm under the weather. My Jesus is the steady hand steering my life through the rough seas of this world. My Jesus is the orchestrator of my life, putting it together one piece at a time. My Jesus is the breath of my life that I cannot live without. My Jesus is the spirit that we fill in this house today. My Jesus, he rose from the grave, victorious over death. My Jesus is my salvation that saved me from hell and keeps me from it yet today. Hey man, if we could all stand. The best part about my Jesus is that he can be your Jesus too. You might ask how. How can I get the same Jesus that you have? In our opening text in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. Peter was the one that answered that question. And as a result, Jesus gave him a blessing in verses 18 and 19. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This same Peter gave us the keys to being saved in Acts 2.38. This is how you can meet my Jesus. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and he shall receive the Holy Ghost. The way that you repent, what Peter talked about there, is you got to say, God, I'm sorry for every sin that I've committed, whether it's a small sin, whether it's a big sin, whether it's lying or whether it's robbery, whether it's disobedience or whether it's murder, whatever it is. You have to repent of it. And repentance, you got to tell God you're sorry, but you also have to say, God, I'm never going to do those things again. My old past, my old life, I no longer want to do those things, God. And then you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that you can have those sins remitted from your life. you got to bury those sins. you got to receive the Holy Ghost. And the way that you know that you receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, I read the scripture to you, the Holy Ghost is Jesus it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The way that you receive the Holy Ghost is you lift your hands up. You start worshiping God and saying, God, I thank you, God, that you shed your blood on Calvary for my sins. God, I'm thankful 
that you died for me, God. God, I'm thankful, God, that you forgive my sins, that you don't hold it against me, God, the, the misconceptions and the lies that I've thought of you, God. God, I thank you, God, that you don't hold those things against me anymore. I want the Holy Ghost, Jesus. You start asking him for his spirit. You say, God, I want your Holy Ghost. I've got to have it. I need it, God. Jesus, I want the Holy Ghost. As we begin to start asking him for the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that the Holy, the Holy Ghost will be given to them that ask. Amen. You begin worshiping and praising. You'll feel your lips begin to move. You begin to feel your, your tongue begin to speak. And it's a language that you won't understand. Isaiah 28 and 11 says, For with stammering lips, another tongue will he speak to this people. That was a prophecy of the Holy Ghost. And when you feel that begin to happen, you just let it happen. And that's how you can have my Jesus today. Amen. If we could all come to this altar. Man, who do you want Jesus to be to you? Say the same words to you today that Paul said to Agrippa in Acts 26 and 29. I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. I want you to see this Jesus that I see. I want my Jesus to be to you what he is to me. <laughs> the very meaning of the name Jesus is Yahweh is salvation. Before Jesus can become anything good to you, the first thing that Jesus has to become is your salvation. You gotta do what I said. You gotta be. You gotta repent. Be baptized. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And after you have those things done, and Jesus is your salvation, then Jesus can be your help. Jesus can be your strength. Jesus can be your healing. He will be whatever you need. I tell you that you can find it in Jesus. I beg you, don't let Jesus just be a fairy tale. Let him become real to you today. <laughs>